Welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friend. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com, and I'm so glad to be with you today. Last year, our ladies' Bible study group at church studied through several of the Psalms, and my psalm to share a message on and put some um, a study together on was Psalm 1. And I really wanted to share my time studying that with you all today. So Psalm 1 is a psalm that I memorized as a new believer many, many, many years ago, and I really thought I was pretty familiar with it until I studied through it. So I hope today as you listen in, it will open up Psalm 1 to you a bit more. You literally can just listen in or I am including a PDF download of the study questions to work through in the show notes if you'd like to do just a mini study yourself on Psalm 1 on your own time too. Um, Also, friend, we are coming back to the Sermon on the Mount series in September. Our next text we're working through there will be Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, where we're going to be looking at how Jesus came to fulfill the law. All of scripture is great, but this is a really good text. There's so much there to put together and take in. Um, this that particular episode, it's really it's taking me a bit to work through. I think I'm starting to hone in on it, but I've loved my study time in the text. So I'm pretty excited to get back into that series with you. And then I also have like a little mysterious kind of something behind the scenes going on that I hope to share with you all towards the end of August here at the blog and podcast. Um, really a thankful homemaker which, gosh, as I'm sharing this, we're almost at the end of August um, or or early September. But so, and if you'd like to be up on it and make sure that you are one of my email subscribers. I, friends, I, I send out a monthly newsletter. I don't email a whole lot. Maybe when a new episode goes out or something. Um, so it's not, I'm not popping in your email box, you know, every day by any means. And email subscribers get access to the free library of printables Um, at my website. So there's things to help you in your homemaking, in your time with the Lord. There's just various printables there that would be a help to you. I'll put that link in the show notes too, along with the study notes I mentioned. Um, And I'd love you to be part of the community here with us. So, okay, let's dig in. Charles Spurgeon said, the delightful study of the Psalms has yielded me boundless profit and ever-growing pleasure end quote there. So my friends, my hope in our time together here today is that it's going to yield us boundless profit and ever-growing pleasure. So since this is Psalm 1, I'm going to give just a really quick intro into the Psalms book itself. This is going to be a 10,000-foot overview, and I'm sure there's much I'm going to miss, but it's it's going to give you at least a basic intro. And for this overview, I am extremely indebted to a commentary from Crossway by James Johnston on the Psalms, Volume 1. And again, all my resources will be in the show notes. So the book of Psalms is probably one of the most read and loved books of the Bible. For me personally, I often turn to it to sit with favorites that help me praise the Lord. Think of Psalm 100. Pray to Him in challenging circumstances. I think of Psalm 46. And those moments when I just want to sit and worship him, like Psalm 8. The Psalms are a treasure, 
that we have as they reflect the prayer and the praise of ancient Israel. Many of the Psalms were written for Israel's temple worship. 55 of them are dedicated to the director of music, and some are connected with the temple musicians we see like the sons of Korah. Jesus most likely shared Psalm 118 with his disciples before they left the upper room for the Mount of Olives in Matthew 26:30. And when Peter and John were arrested, the early church prayed with the words of Psalm 2, and you can see the reference there in Acts 4:25. Charles Spurgeon called his well-known commentary on the Psalms, which you can find online everywhere, guys. It's a great resource. It's called the Treasury. He called it the Treasury of David, because the Psalms are, as it states in Psalm 19:10, more to be desired than gold than much fine gold. So they are a treasure, and they open the door to the treasure chamber of our hearts when our hearts are open to the Spirit. Time in the Psalms will change us. They teach us to pray and to worship. They're truth. They're poems. They are a book. We're going to break each of these down a bit more. First, they're truth. The Psalms are scripture that God inspired by his Holy Spirit to teach and instruct us. They are rich with doctrine. The Psalm we are working through here today together, Psalm 1, it emphasizes that in the first two verses. Psalm 1, 1 and 2 reads, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The word law is the Hebrew word there for Torah in verse 2, and it means instruction that comes from God. So the Psalms are divine revelation, and we are to think and meditate and reflect on what they say. So much of the Old Testament is covered in the Psalms, creation, Abraham's call, the Exodus, the law of Moses, the monarchy of Israel, Israel's disobedience, the exile, the return, and the hope of a greater kingdom with a perfect king. The Psalms is the only book of the Old Testament written over 1,000 years of Israel's history. It's the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament, and the book of Psalms is truth from God that is meant to teach and instruct us and engage our minds with doctrine. Okay, and then second, the Psalms are poems. They engage our intellect and our emotions, and Psalm 1 gives us a picture of this in verse 2. It states, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The man God blesses is one who delights, addressing his heart, the emotions there, in his law, and meditates, addressing the head there, the intellect. Notice the heart is mentioned there first. This man has already come to love God's word, so he desires to think intentionally on it. We treasure and love the word before we ponder what it means. Poetry engages our heart, so our whole being will engage with God's word. The Psalms were meant to be sung, and James Johnston from his commentary on the Psalms, Volume 1, said, The name Psalm comes from the Greek word psalmos, a translation of the Hebrew word mizmor. Both words mean a song accompanied by musical instruments, particularly a harp, end quote there. The psalmists were poets, and they paint pictures that help us picture and feel what we're reading. Some examples of pictures we see in the psalms are Psalm 17, 8 states, 
hide me in the shadow of your wings. Instead of just saying, protect me. Psalm 85 states, you have fed them with the bread of tears. Instead of just stating, the people are sad, see what a difference there. One more quote from Mr. Johnston's commentary. He said, the Psalms wake up our emotions to respond to God and to live like we should. No other book so powerfully shapes our minds and our hearts. Through the Psalms, we can adapt our thinking and feeling to be in line with the heart and mind of God, end quote there. Okay, and last here, the Psalms are a book and specifically a book made up of five smaller books. It is uncertain why the Psalms is divided into five books. Some sources, including the Jewish Midrash tradition, suggest the five-fold division is based of the five, on the five books of the Torah, Genesis there to Deuteronomy. But um, I'm going to break down the list first in numbers, and then we'll just touch each of these books within the Psalms a bit more. So book one covers Psalms 1 through 41. Book two covers Psalms 42 to 72. Book three covers Psalms 73 to 89. And book four covers Psalms 90 to 106. And then book five covers Psalms 107 to 150. So these Psalms have been carefully put together in order for a purpose, because remember, this is a book. I like the picture I came across as a way to think of the book of Psalms. We are familiar with Handel's Messiah or even a musical like Oklahoma. There are beautiful songs in each, and each song can stand on its own. But when you put them together, you have a story. And such is with the Psalms. Each can stand alone, but together they tell a story from beginning to end. The story starts with Israel during David and Solomon's time and continues through the exile and ends when God has returned his people to the land. So book one, which covers Psalms 1 through 41, they focus clearly on David's experience as king. And a summary for these Psalms could be, God rescues his king from his enemies. And then book two, which covers Psalms 42 to 72, we note that David is not the author of these first nine Psalms, but they are connected with a group of Levites called the sons of Korah and Asaph who was one of David's choir masters. So the focus isn't on David the king individually in these, but on the experience of God's people. So a summary of book two can be, God rescues his people from their enemies through his king. And then book three, which covers Psalms 73 to 89, it finds Israel in a period that seems to describe the destruction of the temple, and it was probably compiled after Israel was taken into exile into Babylon. These are some of the Psalms that ask hard questions, things like, how could God allow this? How long will it last? Is there any hope? We might summarize book three with, how could God abandon his king and his people? And then book four, which covers Psalms 90 to 106, it was also compiled during the time of exile. The book ends with a prayer for God to return the people from exile. In Psalm 106, 47, it says, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. The people didn't seem to be brought home when this book was written, so a theme might be, God is still king over all the world. And book five, which covers Psalms 107 to 150, were compiled after the exile when God brought Israel back home. And Psalm 119 is the center of gravity for this book with the celebration of God's word. We also find the Psalms of Ascent 
in book five, where there's Psalms 120 to 134. So the city of Jerusalem, it's situated on a high hill, and Jews traveling to Jerusalem for one of the three main annual Jewish festivals traditionally sang these songs on the ascent or the city's uphill road. And according to some traditions, the Jewish priests also sang some of these songs of ascent as they walked up the steps to the temple of Jerusalem. So each of the Psalms in this particular collection begins with the title, A Song of Ascents. And while perhaps they were not maybe originally composed for this purpose, these Psalms were later grouped together for use in traveling toward Jerusalem for the yearly Jewish festivals. And from this last book of Psalms that we're talking about, Book 5, here we see the people should look for a king greater than David. They should have learned from the exile that there is more to God's plan than an earthly kingdom. This last book's theme can be taken from Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So the 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms have often been categorized into various types. There's no one way to organize the Psalms, but most systems include similar categories with only slight variations. And some of the various types are the Psalms of lament, of thanksgiving, of wisdom, of hymns, the Psalms of Ascent, and the Royal Psalms. Okay, so that was just a very quick overview. And one more aspect that is so important to remember as you read the Psalms, don't lose this one for me, okay? They are a book about Christ. All right. I want to talk a little bit about the connection between Psalm 1, Psalm 1 and 2, okay? Luke 24, 44, Jesus tells his disciples, Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So I'm just working through today Psalm 1, and this Psalm, along with Psalm 2, are strategically linked together. Psalm 1 starts with, blessed is the man. Psalm 2 ends with, blessed are all who take refuge in him. So these two Psalms, 1 and 2, they parallel each other, and the king from David's line and those who take refuge in him will be blessed because they live as he does. They think about and embrace the things he thinks about and embraces, and they are blessed. So let's dig in here to Psalm 1 and um, read it together. If you can, pop it up on your phone. I'm reading from the ESV. So Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So we, we all desire to be happy. I'm just going to say that. We do, right? I mean, nobody wants to be sad or miserable or unhappy. We love lasting happiness. And Psalm 1 starts off describing the man who is truly happy or blessed. Some translations begin this verse with, How happy is the man? Which describes a deep sense of joy that comes from God's grace in our lives, not the superficial happiness of the world based on circumstances. And did you notice as you read through the psalm that the first word is blessed and the last word is perish? Two complete opposites here. In this psalm, the way of the righteous and the way of the ungodly are contrasted. 
Blessed is used over 20 times in just the Psalms and various scriptures throughout the New Testament. Remember how many times we came across it. Um, I, actually, I'm saying this, and I remember our Pastor Ross when he was working through the Beatitudes and even now me going through the Sermon on the Mount in our church, how many times we came across that in Matthew chapter 5. So you're hearing that too from me in the Sermon on the Mount. So obviously the word blessed is a big word here. So when I finished my yearly Bible reading plan last year um, in the book of Revelation, I was working through this, this um, message that I'm sharing here with you today, and it stood out to me in Revelation how often the word blessed was used. So that would be a great word study to work through, just throwing that out there. Okay. Although we, we don't have a straightforward definition, the scriptures clearly show us what defines the blessed man. And as you... Um, I'm kind of hoping that if you go through the study that I've attached here and look up some of those verses, you're going to see a little more about what God's Word says about the person who enjoys blessedness. So if nothing else, at least do that part of the PDF um, download study that I've attached because I think I think you'll be blessed to do that. <laughs> okay, so the authorship of this psalm varies depending on the source. Some say it's not known, but most give credit to David Almost all the other Psalms in Book 1, which was Psalms 1 through 41 of the Psalms, have of David at the top. But this Psalm and Psalm 2 are bracketed by blessing and conclude with warnings. They each warn of a way that leads to destruction, and together they set a scene and put down markers for our reading through this book of the Bible. The early church father Jerome described Psalm 1 as the preface to the Psalms, as inspired by the Holy Spirit and compared it to the great door of the building that is the Psalter. So as we open this door to the Psalter today and walk through Psalm 1, we're going to see who it tells us the blessed man is. And our Psalm starts by telling us first what he doesn't do. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That was Psalm 1-1. First, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. This person doesn't live out their daily life according to worldly advice. They aren't picking up the advice, perspectives, values, and worldview of the ungodly. If they do this long enough, they'll move to the next level. There's a downward progression going on here in the descriptions we have. Next, he's not influenced by sinners. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. To stand in someone's way in Hebrew means something like to stand in his moccasins, to do what he does, to adopt his lifestyle, his habits, his patterns of conduct. So he's not conforming to their lifestyle or behaviors. Their, their attitudes are not becoming his attitudes. If he continued down this course, he would continue to descend and find himself in the seat of scoffers. So if you're sitting in the seat of scoffers, you're participating in much that is godless and mocking the things of God and those who obey the ways of God. So the blessed man, he's not settled into the seat of those who might make fun of things of God. He's not going to spread laughter and mock the things of God. And he's not going to mock those who obey the ways of God. We have a negative description of the blessed man, and it is describing someone who doesn't let the culture around them shape what he thinks and does and enjoys. Sometimes it can be easier to fit in instead of going against the grain. And the reality is, we've all been here, even as believers. We may have taken worldly counsel or ignored godly counsel. We may have adopted worldly lifestyles or habits. 
We may have made fun of or criticized those obeying God, maybe not outwardly, but maybe inwardly in our thoughts. As it states in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But we see that blessing comes to those who don't march to the beat of the world's drum. The grammar here in verse 1 gives us an interesting problem to face because it requires complete obedience. It's stating that the blessed man never sinned. So Willem van Gimmeren, he's a noted Old Testament scholar. He stated on this verse, he says the perfect mood of the verbs in each case emphasizes that the godly are never involved with anything tainted with evil. So the bless, these blessings in Psalm 1 are for the man who has never sinned and always been separated from it. Augustine said of the man of Psalm 1, this is to be understood of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to share an interesting story here about a man named Joseph Flax. He was visiting Palestine in the early 20th century, and he had an opportunity to speak with a gathering of Jews and Arabs. He chose to talk about this psalm. He read it in Hebrew, and in the discussion asked the question, Who is the blessed man of whom this psalmist speaks? This man never walked in the counsel of the wicked, or stood in the way of sinners, or sat in the seat of mockers. He was an absolutely sinless man. Nobody spoke. So Flax said, Was he our great father Abraham? One old man said, No, it cannot be Abraham. He denied his wife and told a lie about her. He said, Well, how about the lawgiver Moses? No, someone said, It cannot be Moses. He killed a man and lost his temper by the waters of Meribah. Flax suggested David? Mm, It was not David. He committed both murder and adultery. There was a long silence. Then an elderly Jew arose and he said, My brothers... I have a little book here. It is called the New Testament. I've been reading it. And if I could believe this book, if I could be sure that it is true, I would say that the man of the first Psalm was Jesus of Nazareth. Well, end quote there, this elderly Jewish man was right. The first verse of Psalm 1 points to Jesus. Jesus is the blessed man of Psalm 1. Because of Jesus, Those of us who have come to Jesus in true repentance and faith by trusting in his death and resurrection, all the blessings of Psalm 1 become ours because of his obedience. The righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us, and we now have the spirit of Christ living in us, so we are able to delight in his word, turn from sin, and meditate on his word. We are the blessed man of Psalm 1, only because of Jesus. Living out Psalm 1 in our lives means we are becoming more and more like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And the description of the blessed man continues on in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. God blesses the one who constantly and intentionally focuses on his word. The word law here in verse 2 It doesn't just refer to the Ten Commandments, but it's the Hebrew word Torah, which means instruction. And in this particular context of this psalm, it refers to the scriptures as a whole, especially the psalms. So the man who is blessed loves God, desires to know God, and wants to know how to please God. And to do this, he needs to be reading and meditating or 
thinking deeply on God's word. The term meditate here means to mutter or murmur, kind of like talking to yourself under your breath. What are some ways we can meditate on God's word? I am going to link um, to a PDF handout in the show notes you can print out with some ways to practice meditating on on God's word. But you can simply do your daily reading. Write a verse or two on an index card and carry it with you all day and read through it pray through it. Ask the test, ask questions of the text to gain understanding what this verse tells you about who God is. And in light of who God is, what does he desire of you? Share with someone what you learned from the text or applied from the text. Memorizing God's word is another way to meditate on it throughout your day. But you need not just to memorize it, but to bring it to your mind and think on it and pray through it. We want not just to master the word, but to be mastered by it. So we're going to continue on in verse 3 here. What are the blessed compared to? Verse 3 reads, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Okay, first there we see the tree is planted. It didn't haphazardly come about by a seedling floating in the air. When we plant a new tree in our yard, we go out to choose it and pick the location for where it will best grow. There's a purpose and a plan for the tree. Just like the believer, the Lord chooses where we need to be planted for our good and growth. Psalm 139.16 tells us, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Second, it's planted by streams of water. It is right next to life-giving water. It's here where its roots can go deep and draw the nourishment it needs. It's describing someone whose roots go deeply into God, the source of life. It's going to flourish. And third, this tree is yielding fruit in its season. So its, quote, fruit does not fail. In their life, you see the fruit of their roots. So as we meditate on God's word and delight in it, we will, just like this tree, bear fruit. As the word works in us and our roots are digging deep, we're going to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And this fruit, it's going to come about in challenging seasons of our lives. We're going to face difficulties, but our roots are dug deep and our tree will not be shaken. Fourth, the leaf of this tree, it does not wither. So when an unbelieving world sees a man put out leaves while he's torched by the hot winds of life, there can only be one explanation. He has roots that are drinking deep from the living water. And last here in this verse three is, in all that he does, he prospers. This verse is taken out of context by our false prosperity teachers all the time. So there. Okay, so ponder here with me. Jesus is this perfect man. His prosperity came through suffering and death. God's economy works differently than the world's. Our success comes through suffering and trials. The psalmist is saying to us, God's word that we delight in and meditate on will have its intended effect on us. God's God's word will be successful in everything it's set out to do. And then next, we have the contrast of the blessed man with the wicked man. And verse four tells us, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Separating the chaff from wheat is the process of the heads of wheat being crushed to separate them from the husk. 
then it's all tossed in the air so the lighter husks, the chaff, blows away, while the useful part of the grain, the heavy kernels, drop to the ground. Chaff doesn't produce fruit, it has no roots, and winds reveal the chaff as soon as the wheat is tossed into the air. Quick note, do if, if you just to take a picture of it, even if you're working through this with your kid, is do a YouTube video and check out how to separate chaff from the wheat. It's kind of interesting just to find a video to watch it be done to kind of open that text up a little bit to you. So there are two ways are being contrasted here. Two kinds of people, two ways of life. It's the righteous and the wicked. Um, I know wicked is not a very politically correct statement, right? It seems harsh today. We know people who don't love God, but we wouldn't necessarily call them wicked. They may be kind and generous and caring, but the truth of scripture is clear. If they aren't known by God, if they aren't in Christ, they are wicked. Okay, this doesn't mean that you want to go around using this term in your evangelism, but it is a reality of the state of those who are unsaved. Before we came to Christ, we were wicked. We too were enemies of God, destined for an eternity in hell. So as we move on down here to verses 5 and 6, we see a final judgment is coming. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We move to the future here, where we will all stand before the Lord in judgment. This is anticipating an end time, a final accounting. The wicked are a group of people, unlike the blessed man. They walked and stood and sat in the way of sinners. And when the judgment comes, they are not going to stand. It doesn't matter how kind they've been or how much money they donated or how they volunteered. If they live their lives void of the one true God, they will perish. Even their way will perish. Their way of life and the things they did and practiced will too perish. In bringing this all together, did you notice that we start with a man at the beginning of the psalm? He is blessed. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. And at the end of the psalm, we have a congregation of the righteous. This congregation of the righteous are those who identify with the blessed man. Their lives are like the life of the blessed man. We come back again to who is the blessed man. There wasn't a leader or a king in Israel's history who turned out, who turned out to be the man of Psalm 1. All have fallen short. All have sinned. The religious leaders of Jesus' day seem to think of themselves as the righteous instead of the wicked. They would have read Psalm 1 and identified themselves as the blessed man and the congregation of the righteous. Their security was in following the law outwardly, and Jesus warned them in Matthew 23, 28, You also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus is the only true righteous man. And he comes to those who think they are the blessed man or those who think they are the congregation of the righteous. He opens their eyes to see that they are desperately wicked and without hope apart from him. They need to confess of their wickedness and turn to him to be their righteousness. Jesus is the only righteous one who perfectly delighted in the law of the Lord and meditated on it day and night. Jesus is like the tree planted by streams of water. His life was abundantly fruitful, and all that he did, he prospered. His life, death, and resurrection accomplished the salvation of sinners, all those who can't live up to the demands of Psalm 1, but put their faith and trust in Jesus alone for salvation. So now what? Can we live as this psalm describes? We can't apart from Christ. 
Jesus obeyed perfectly in our place so we can delight in the way of the Lord. Jesus endured the judgment we deserved so we can now stand in the judgment because of his righteousness, not our own. It is only by his grace that we can be the person of Psalm 1. It is only by being united to Jesus, the only one who is able to live this way perfectly. Trying harder isn't the way to live like this man. Being united to Jesus is where it begins. And as we begin to read and study and apply God's word to our lives, God will change us. When the storms come blowing through, we're going to be like the tree. It doesn't mean that we're going to be unaffected by the storms, but God's word will have its intended effect on our lives. We'll have stability in the storms. It will prosper us and make us strong, and we will bear fruit no matter what storms come. Psalm 1 is the path to true happiness, to true blessedness, And if we are in Christ, Psalm 1 will be the pattern of our lives. Jesus is enough always, my friends. Thank you so much for your time today. Again, any links or the PDF downloads will all be in the show notes at the blog at thankfulhomemaker.com. And don't forget to sign up for free access to the library of the free printables here. And friends, if you're enjoying your time here with me, I would so love if you could take two minutes and leave one of those lovely five-star rating reviews over at iTunes or wherever you listen into the podcast. It helps others find it. And I am so grateful for all of you that have taken the time to do that already. So thank you so, so much. I am so grateful for you, my friend. Thank you for your time today. And I pray you have a very blessed week.